Welcome to Light Treason News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. Hi, Meredith. Hi, Allison. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for asking. You are freshly back from Costa Rica. Yes, I am. A full week in the beautiful tropical sun on a beach in a rainforest. Generally just kicking it with some monkeys and some sloths and some lizards. You got a photo of a monkey that is so good. It looks like it's from National Geographic. If you don't follow (laughs) Meredith on Instagram, what's wrong with you, first of all? But follow her to see an amazing photo, professional quality photo of a monkey. Just eating some watermelon. Living his best life. Yeah. Yeah. True superstar. Yeah. Although I do know now a lot about that kind of monkey the white-faced cappuccino monkey those guys are scary are they? i would not want to make them angry yeah well they're omnivorous so oh. they will do cannibalism okay and uh our guide did have a video of a monkey eating a baby monkey that he's uh, just like showing you he's like happy vacation you want to see well, something crazy he said, I won't show it to any. He's like, if you want to see it, just let me know and I will show it. But it is disturbing. And then, of course, I said, yes, please. Oh, how, so how bad could it be? You're the problem. You're the sicko who's like, can I see it? But to be honest yeah. with you, I absolutely would have watched it as well yeah. as we've established. Also, the teenage boys that were on the trip also requested to see it. So I wasn't sure. alone. Um, but it's true. I've seen some very intense horror movies recently i mean we've talked about when evil lurks and Mm -hmm. the monkey cannibalism was more disturbing oh absolutely and it is also you know it's real so it's more intense in that respect um yeah um but yes apparently they are uh quite quite serious predators little mafias um love to harass other creatures in the forest so like respect to them but also yikes Sure, sure. Um, anything else vacation related that you wanted to chat about? Um, well, if you have the opportunity to do any travel to the nation of Costa Rica, I do highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was beautiful. Everyone was lovely. Um, it's really put an enormous amount of effort and infrastructure into being good for tourists because it's their yes. main source. It's the biggest. They're really, really good at their it. GDP. Yeah. Um, so they're, they, they invest in it yeah. and you will have a great time. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm just go out and spend some time in nature. It is everyone. really wild to wake up to hearing a bunch of monkeys. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> or like a bunch of parakeets. Yeah. Peaking, it like, is very, extremely. very weird. Yeah. It's, it's cool though. It's like, oh yeah, we live on a planet because especially if you're city mice like us hearing really intense nature surrounding you is it's a very humbling experience but I think it's also just like a universally human experience where I think it's important to get off our phones and just remember we live on a planet yes and this is what I thought was the most wonderful thing about it was the opportunity to actually be in nature again and just see it in a way that felt so different than oh, hello, it's some pigeons or anything like that. Well, I remember this happens like every seven years or so where some idiot will be like, do we really need parks in New York City? (laughs) And there are all these studies that show like the human brain responds to seeing the color green. Like it, it calms us. It's like some baked in primitive thing in our brains where it is very healing to be in nature. So it's like, yeah, you fucking idiots. We need parks in New York City. We need trees. We need grass. We can't just be surrounded by concrete all the time. Like it is just an innate human need. Yeah. Being it, reconnecting to being an animal in the forest is a positive. Um, But you know, like real estate companies, oh, they would love to build in Central Park. So every once in a while, they just try it a little bit where they're like, do we need this? And almost universally, everyone's like, yes, you evil ghouls. (laughs) And then they fuck off for another seven years. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, and I'm sure people listening to us who live in like the country or rural areas are like, yeah, no shit. But it is, especially if you live in a city, it, tr- 
get out of the city for a little while <laughs> yeah, and go just, heal. <laughs> yeah, you do. You need the healing. I needed the healing sounds of vaguely Calypso covers of pop music. The number of times I heard a smooth jazz cover of the Bee Gees staying alive Hell yeah. was truly incredible. So I mean, it, like at least 10 times, but I, um, I kind of got used to it. It was really lovely. While you were healing in nature, I remember what I wanted to talk about just as like a, a helpful example of contrasting between Meredith living her best life in Costa Rica. My train line that I take all the time in New York City fucking derailed. <laughs> The other day, uh, this is probably a little bit after you had gotten back, but I was just like, oh, this is such a delicious sort of comparison between uh, living in Costa Rica and living in New York City. I mean, being a tourist in Costa Rica, excuse me, and uh, living in New York City. But yeah, my train line, I was not on it when it derailed, thankfully. And also, thankfully, no one was hurt. Um, But I believe it was in the Bronx when it it derailed Um, and truly fucked everybody in the Bronx and Brooklyn and Manhattan for like three days because you can't just put a train back on the tracks. It's like a whole process and our infrastructure is so fucking old and all of it is falling apart and we pay so much in taxes and they don't fix anything and they just keep jacking up the price uh, to get on the subway and arresting kids for jumping the turnstile. It's very frustrating. So it's a totally normal setup, you know. I yeah, just, I don't healthy, know why healthy. You're so concerned about this. Vibrant. You're right. I'm being too negative. I apologize, everyone. Uh, the system is perfect. No flaws. No notes. Uh, but thankfully, I got the alert this morning. Meredith, uh, we're back, baby. They got the train healed, uh, and the two is now functioning again. <laughs> the one, two, oh. three is back. We're back. Yeah, finally back. You're so back. I. I'm used to doing subway math where like the the subways break all the time. And so I'm used to having to like come up with creative routes. This really fucked me in a way where I was like, best case scenario, I have to walk 25 minutes at some point. Um, Because again, they don't care about the outer boroughs. So like if the two goes down, it just like fucks a bunch of people and they're like, eh, get on a bus, you know? Um, Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know if that's interesting for anyone who doesn't live in New York City, but um, yeah. A train derailed and there were no final destination fatalities. That is relevant. To our <laughs> yeah, listeners. I truly like anytime you hear train derailment, you're like, and how many people died? And it's like, it actually happens not a ton, but pretty frequently in New York. And thankfully, yeah, people will get banged up, but there's no serious injuries. Um, I'm much more concerned personally about, uh, walls underwater collapsing that, Mm -hmm. and the subways flood a lot. And that scares me much more than the train derailment stuff. Understandably. That was always why I, when offered the opportunity while taking a cab or doing things, I go over the bridges rather than through the tunnels. Oh, absolutely. Um, And, and great views. Great for the gram. Yeah. Well, and if I'm going to die, I kind of want to see it coming. But from <laughs> like, if I'm from above, yeah. I don't want to see the water coming down. Uh, on I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. Uh, it was very funny to see a bunch of tourists uh, yelling at the MTA on Twitter about not being able to go sightseeing because of the train yeah. derailments. And it's like, listen, I feel for y'all because it's it's very expensive to visit New York City. And this sucks. The week you're here, the subways don't work. But imagine living here. <laughs> like, guys, imagine how. It actually is quite bad for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, in like a profound way that is our lives. So I do feel for you. Hopefully, you got a, a few good vacation days out of it because they did get it back pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah. Uh, before we get into recommendations, I wanted to read a message from my Patreon. Uh, if you are a supporter of mine, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, you get to send recommendations, comments, questions, just letting us know something you're excited about. Truly anything, guys, as long as it's like entertaining and not too long. So Nat wrote in, howdy. I'm a big fan of campy mysteries like Clue, Knives Out, and Werewolves Within. Do you have any other recommendations? Ooh, I probably should have given you a heads up, Meredith. 
You <laughs> should have, because I am ashamed to say, given that I'm coming down with something, my brain is not as sharp as I would like it to be because yeah. there are definitely things. Well, first of all, let's just go, we'll, we can start with the coziest of all and say, seek out watching the 1980s uh, PBS Poirot. I swear to God, I was just going to recommend this shit where it's like, sorry, I called it shit. When I say shit, <laughs> sometimes, guys, it's because I'm excited and I'm like, that's my shit. Yeah. Poirot, Miss Marple, um, Sherlock Holmes, the original Sherlock Holmes on PBS, all yeah, of that. If it, if it aired on PBS Masterpiece Mystery, the one where the Edward Gorey illustrations are dying at the beginning at the little intro then you're probably going to love it. Absolutely. I think that's a great recommendation. Um, because other than that, my brain goes to like very dark where it's like, I love Zodiac and the girl with the dragon tattoo, but it's like, those are not cozy. <laughs> it's like the opposite of cozy. And maybe cozy isn't even necessarily the right word, but they are sort of like, they fit with the formula. They use it well. And because they're old, they give you that sense of mild cheesiness. It's a little silly, but it's still just deeply satisfying because everyone involved is a total pro. And exactly. I think that's what sets it apart. Um, as far as movies go, gosh. I mean, of course, yeah, the tough. easy answer, and you probably have already seen this, um, Nat, but Glass Onion is the follow-up to Knives Out, the far, far, far inferior <laughs> uh, sequel to Knives Out. But it's still fun. It's still campy. That's the word Nat used. I don't know why I'm saying cozy. You said campy, which is a much better word. But then um, I said cozy, and we've shifted in. But I, I think yeah, the, yeah. you know. For sure. But they go hand in hand in this case, because I think those are... And there's a lot of them. Um, it's not the same as some of the British mysteries you can watch on um, Acorn or BritBox, which can get very silly. You're like, why <laughs> do these two middle-aged women have a gardening business and then somebody <laughs> dies every time they go to do a landscaping job? Oh, like, that's well, a little... You bring that up. Time is an excellent show, so I'm not going to pretend right. I haven't seen all of it. You bringing that up does remind me of one of the greatest examples of that though, uh, which is Murder, She Wrote. Yes. Oh my God. If you have not had the pleasure, Nat, and again, you might be a pro, you might be like rolling your eyes right now where you're like, I've seen all of these, in which case I'm so sorry. Um, but Murder, She Wrote, you know, all time classic, a great example of one of those where it's like, bitch, why do people keep dying wherever you go? <laughs> How does this keep happening? Um, Jessica Fletcher, you are cursed, ma'am. Uh, and Angela Lansbury uh, was the greatest. Mm -hmm. So check that out. Oh, I also just thought of one. It's old, but the Thin Man movies. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's a great, great wreck. They're just rich and drunk and solving crimes together. And their dog is an icon. Yeah. So Nat, I hope that was helpful. Uh, if not, you can yell at us. You're a, a patron of mine. You're allowed. No, please don't yell at me. I'm very fragile. Um, and if anybody else has a recommendation, hashtag light treason pod or email light treason news at Gmail. Why don't I know my own email address? You might ask. Great question. Uh, or you can message us on Instagram. I'm also, and Meredith is also on uh, blue sky. So hit us up over there. Oh, it's snowing again. Oh, Allison, yay. Guys, the reason everybody's freaking out on social media in New York that it's snowing, it hasn't snowed in two years, which if you're like, holy shit, you should be like, holy shit, because climate change, and that's fucking scary. We were declared a tropical region uh, because of the humidity during the summer, and Meredith had to listen to me bitch every day that I could not breathe because of the humidity. Um but it's snowing right now, and that's great, and I'm very happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that it, that this is happening for you. We got a little snow uh, yesterday. Don't get and, me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. We're still absolutely fucked, but it's good to see snow again. You deserve a little bit of the pretty, cozy loveliness of snow if you have to be fucked like you are. Yes, um, and not in the good way, am I right? Eh. Anyway, uh, should we move to recommendations? Yes. Okay. So there's a couple fairly oldies in here just because I never got around to seeing them in the theater. And I've tried to list them by, <laughs> did you see Maestro yet? 
No, okay. I'm really struggling with whether or yeah. not I'm actually going to put myself through that because I've already done, I feel like I've already done my, I watched this movie that Allison said kind of made her angry thing by watching yeah. Saltburn. So we could talk about it. <sighs> Guys. So I'm just not sure if I want to watch Maestro and know that it's going to be less fun to hate. That is exactly right. Just how you summarize that right now. It. I don't even think it's like cathartic to watch as like, a fun sort of movie to hate. That's Saltburn. That's like this year, that's Saltburn, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, not a good movie, but at least it's, you know, fairly entertaining in parts. Um, I, Maestro really, really uh, blew my circuits because it's, and we have a film like this every year, which is people I really, really, really value their opinions on films and I trust liked this and I hated it. Um, so I'm not, you know, this is all subjective. It's very, very hard to make films. Um, talented people were involved, yada, yada, yada. I, I can't get past Bradley Cooper. I can't. And I know there's a lot of eye rolling about the term Oscar bait because people are like, don't you want your filmmakers to work really, really hard on their projects and be passionate? That's not what Oscar bait is. Oscar bait is not people working really hard to make a great film. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. It's it's somebody who is so obsessed with winning this award that they are doing every cliche showboaty thing in the fucking handbook to get an Oscar nom and ideally an Oscar win. But it's so hacky and cliche that I can't quite believe it happened. Like, I'm not just talking about the fake nose, which is are just mind-blowing and look so bad. I am mystified by anyone saying that the his makeup looks good in this film. It looks terrible. Terrible. <laughs> like the worst old person makeup I've ever seen. I'm sorry. It's just like Bradley Cooper and a bunch of old person makeup. I know that the Mid-Atlantic accents are perhaps necessary. I had a very hard time getting past it especially, and I think she's the best part of the film, Carrie Mulligan is laying it on so thick with this accent, and like rightfully so, right? I don't think you can do a subtle version of that accent. I have a very hard time when they have like an A-list actor do a a very specific accent like this because the entire time my brain is like I am listening to Carrie Mulligan do a voice. Mm. The entire time. Uh, I, I was pretty offended with how they handled his sexuality, um, which really is treated as like a dun, dun, dun to show up to like ruin his marriage, basically. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I listen, Carrie Mulligan's wonderful. She had the same note with her in Saltburn. She is always, always the highlight of whatever she's in. So I'm like kind of shy to entirely bash Maestro because I feel like she's so excellent in it. But again, her character, spoiler everybody, gets cancer and fucking dies. And that is used as like, Bradley Cooper keeps talking about on the campaign trail how she is the heart of this film. She's the heart of this film. It's really about her. No, it's fucking not. It's not about her. It's not about her, dude. It's about you. Because it's always about you in these films and your giant fucking ego. You might be a nice guy in real life. I don't know. Every time he directs, and stars in one of his projects. It is fully an ego project. It's the Bradley Cooper show. And he doesn't, I'm allergic to him. I'm allergic to him. And I, I don't understand exactly what goes through his head when picking these projects because he's so clearly so thirsty and throws everything into his efforts including tropes and tricks that I thought we'd all agreed no longer needed to be a part of any film. You mean like, somebody ending up in a fucking pool? <laughs> you get jumping fully clothed into a, into a beautiful California pool. Yeah. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. She went right in there. And here's another thing. If you're going to try to explore the man's sexuality and not have a sex scene, And in fact, Mm -hmm. the only contact with a man is within the first five seconds of the film where he plays the bongos on Matt Bomer's ass, which, (laughs) respect, Matt Bomer has a great ass. And Matt Bomer, I have to say, 
is another highlight for me. He and Carrie really got me through this film. If they were not in it, my God, the random cameo from Sarah Silverman wasn't going to do it for me. Um, they are wonderful. There's not enough of them. This is the Bradley Cooper show. Oh, and I, it's also just the knowledge that we did so much work to get past the normal tropes of the biopic. Like walk hard exists. And now people are bringing back just the full on. We have to remember our history or we're doomed to repeat it. You know what a a great contrast is? So I just rewatched Phantom Thread which in my opinion is a perfect film and I think brilliantly undercuts the great man narrative and maestro in every single way plays into the cliches of the great man. That's just so frustrating and disappointing. And yeah, like when you, especially when it's a famous quote unquote great man, we are aware of the things that, uh, people struggled with that happened. We know that Leonard Bernstein's life was incredibly complicated and he didn't just have a wife who he made suffer because he couldn't stop fucking dudes. Like (laughs) there was a lot more going on. He was so complicated. And a lot of, you know, uh, scholars have noted this film for that reason where they're like, this man was so fascinating. And this is the most surface level examination of, not only his personal life, but his legacy. And I have to say something. One of the things that Bradley Cooper is being hailed for is conducting an orchestra. I don't think it's that hard to conduct an orchestra. I'm just going to say it right now. He said it took him seven years to learn how to do that. Bradley, Bradley, you're either lying or you had a bad teacher. And that to me feels like say. one of those things you say when you want to get an Oscar nomination. You're like, it took me seven years. And everyone's like, why? <laughs> Especially since Kate Blanchett just did it last year. And better bitch. Watch Tar. Tar's a better film. Um, I'm just kidding. Watch this <laughs> if you want to watch it. Um, again, making films is hard. I, you know, I'm not saying Bradley Cooper doesn't have talent. Of course he has talent. I just, I want the, the Academy to give him the Oscar so he will calm the fuck down. <laughs> just like not make every project an ego project and just I don't know I always think it's a mistake when an actor is directing themselves and to me like Maestro is a shining example of that (laughs) yeah and it goes back to something that you and I have talked about recently which is the difference between some like a filmmaker or an actor trying hard and being a try hard (laughs) Yes, because that's the thing. And it it goes back to what I was saying where, you know, people are like, don't you want your creator to be really passionate and be trying hard? Yes, absolutely. There is a separate element where it's the thirst element where it's like, and I need to be recognized by my peers so, 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 so badly. And that has been Bradley's entire career. And I I feel sorry for him that he has that in him because he is talented. And he doesn't need to be legitimized in this way. He loves movies. He's so passionate about movies. He really, really wants to be a director. I really want him to be a director. I want him to find his leading man. And he can not be in front of the camera anymore or work with a director and just act, you know? Um, But I don't think the dual thing is working for him. Yeah. I mean, let us respect he acted with that absolutely horrifying baby when he was an American (laughs) sniper. (laughs) Guys, if you haven't seen the scene Meredith is talking about, you can Google it. It is wild wild that that got in the final cut i don't know what everybody was thinking what happened on set but my god that baby is so obviously fake yeah and it, it, worse than renee's may in the twilight movies just one of the all-time bad babies of of cinema before we move on i just have to say there is a baffling scene in maestro where <laughs> they've had a fight he's he's conducting he's conducting so hard meredith he's so sweaty and he gets off stage and Carrie Mulligan forgives him. She says, you have no hate in your heart. And she says it like that. And I don't understand why she has forgiven him. I don't understand how she has come to this epiphany and just watching him direct or, or con- conduct the orchestra. And I don't think it's that I didn't get it. I think it's 
badly written, badly executed, very cliche that she has to forgive him at the end. So we know he's a good guy. It is so stilted and awkward. And and he is just strange in some scenes. Like whatever he's trying to convey, it is like there's a scene in a park with a baby. Meredith, I kind of just want you to watch this scene. He is like so bizarre in it. And I don't know what he's going for. Um, I'm really, really blown away that people think this is a masterpiece. Oh, all right. I'll probably try and find the baby scene. I would like you to watch it just to get your two cents. Like, again, it's not like I I don't think people should see it. Uh, It's not a bad film. It's just like people calling it a masterpiece. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? It's one of those moments you just feel like you're on a different planet where it's like, what movie did you watch? And listen, I know the experience of going to a premiere or getting to see it first is really special and it gets you excited. And like if Bradley Cooper's there, it's like, oh my God. And there's, you know, celebrities here. It's like really exciting. Sometimes you can get swept up in that and and you see it in a theater and you see like, you know, all the bells and whistles and it's kind of like, yeah, that might sway you a little bit to think it's better than it is. I, yes, that is something that happens often. And also when you're watching a movie during a big event or just for the first time, it can feel, you need to think about what you've been seeing and what you think, you know, what you've experienced. And when there's a whole production around it, just the event of watching it, it can be hard to unpack that without being influenced. Yeah. And like I, for a second I was like, is this happening? Cause there's a a few films that I saw that I was a little cooler on than most critics. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe it was cause I was watching them at home, but there's some films coming up that I, I watched at home and I was way, way warmer on. So I don't think that was the difference. Yeah. I just well, don't do think. Do you want to talk about some of the movies that we agree on as far as feeling uh, a bit like. Oh, like cooler on? Like, yeah, past lives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say past lives specifically. Yeah. So again, this is not an anti-rec by any stretch of the imagination. I liked past lives. I would recommend past lives. I just think that I felt cooler on it than a lot of people. And I'll, I'll say that I think the primary reason for that, it's certainly not because of anybody involved. I think this is like thoroughbred pedigree of like everybody involved. I'm I'm like so, so excited to see like Celine Song and Greta Lee specifically be in everything and make everything after this, you know? Um, I'm not a big like romance person and like um like a coming of age person it's not generally the genre i like to see in films i tend to find it pretty boring um but this one i i it wasn't that i was bored i just didn't understand the motives of everyone except nora and nora is like our protagonist obviously greta lee's character and we see everything from her perspective And that's like in any film, right? We have a protagonist that we see the world through their eyes. That's totally fine. But there are quite a few scenes with her, Nora, Arthur, and uh, Hai Sung, who is her um, boyfriend from like way back in the day when she was a kid. And it's it's kind of a love triangle, but it's not because it's not like crazy competitive or anything like that. So it's not like hacky and cliche. But my main note was I... Like, to me, the men are barely characters in this story. Yeah, I completely agree. And that might be kind of eye-rolly where it's like, oh, my God, don't we have enough films about men? <laughs> but, like, I, I agree with that. But when the whole film rests on this triangle that we're trying to understand, we do need to know more about the men. Because there is such a bizarre scene that I brought up to you, Meredith, before where it's the three of them, they finally meet like in when they're adults and it, there's like this tension because Nora and Sung are like reconnecting and Arthur, her husband, is there sitting next to her saying nothing. Just and, drinking some whiskey. And we never hear about what he's feeling or anything. And it is so strange to me because I'm like, even if this is the most supportive, progressive man on the planet who's like, I'm so unthreatened by your ex-boyfriend. I want you to explore this. Even if that's true, I need to hear that at some point because like, what is this man? It's so bizarre. I know. And 
I really felt like, and maybe this is because the story is so personal to Celine's song um, in so many ways, and she's spoken about this. Um, there was stuff that felt like it was assumed and got left unsaid about these conflicts or about what Nora was feeling at certain times. So I got a lot of time watching her be awesome. Yes. I mean, she's definitely goals. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. Holy shit. She's the coolest chick on the planet. Yeah. So like really well-drawn character, but I didn't feel like there was enough time spent grappling with the actual reality of how she makes her choices in order to build this life for herself. Like, you hear Haesung talk about it, but it's a telling, not showing. Yeah. And that, and because the male characters felt flat, there isn't the same level of thorniness that I wanted or felt was possible from the story. And I think that a lot of my frustration with it comes from an absolute belief that this filmmaker and this actress could have made that story more complicated in a really beautiful way. And the script just didn't have that in it. It's really underwritten, which for me to say, usually I'm like less talky, more showy, you know? And I have to say like Celine has an incredible eye and I'm like, so as I said, excited to see her future projects. Um, And I think the fact that she got this made is incredible. Guys, I respect this film on a lot of levels that I'm like, I'm very sad that I wasn't as hyped on it as everybody else. Um, I think some of that might be, there was so much hype that it's like, how does any film live up to that is a little bit of it. But I, I do genuinely think I feel this way where it's like, I think Celine has a great eye where there's little details where when she's building tension between Nora and Haesung, he'll like touch her in subtle ways that are very like electric and I think like are really well done. I just don't know what is in that man's head. I'm kind of like, I think he's interesting. And I think um, Teo Yu did a, a wonderful job and oh my God, he's so handsome. I like, oh, I just God, he's beautiful. wanted like one little monologue. It's like, what are you going to do when you go home? Like, what do you want? Like, I know you want her, but it's like, what's your vision of like being together with her or like, yeah, you know, John Magara, we love on this show. We stand John. He's like in a million good films. Um, He's constantly being romantically disappointed in some ways, but he is consistently just <laughs> the best dude. Sometimes. Out here, you know, and also out here repping the Italian Jewish handshake. Yeah. Uh, I, I, as- I'm so sorry I said Magaro instead of Majaro. Um, But yeah, he's wonderful. I just don't like know anything about these men or their motivations, which kind of brings down the whole film. Um, but having said all that, my God, Greta Lee, I will watch her in anything, anything, absolutely anything. And I think, you know, if if I had, if you, and we'll do our best of at closer to Oscars, but this is in my honorable mention list. Like it's not, um, it's not my top 10, but there's enough going on there. And I'm excited enough about this being a breakthrough for Greta Lee that it goes on even with the frustrations that I have. It's it's in mine too. And that's why I, in my honorable mentions, and that's the reason I wanted to be like clear, like this isn't an anti-rec by any stretch of the imagination. This is a good film. Um, I would just say it's a, it's a good film, not great. Yeah. And, and it is just, and there's enough that's real, that are, there are enough really beautiful, tense moments that feel just beautifully portrayed. Um, but yeah, it doesn't, it didn't gel completely. My my personal favorite moment in the film is when they're uh, Skyping and she sort of realizes in real time, she has to end the relationship with him in order to like move on with her life in America. And I think Greta Lee is like amazing in that moment. Yeah, I was actually going to say the the Skype conversation where she decides they can't, they need to not talk anymore was my favorite moment. Like those two conversations in the sort of when they're 24 years old 
section of which the is movie. exactly when you have that realization. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like Celine so understands, like because this was probably her story. Like she understands Nora so innately that like that character, like Chef's Kiss, amazing. It's just the world around her is a little thin. Yeah, and so, but also. Sometimes it's just worth it to get to watch Greta Lee be a. (laughs) Sometimes it's worth it to watch Greta Lee mother all over the screen. I would completely endorse that. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. If you if you feel like you'd like to see that happen, this is a movie for you. And if you don't want that, get the hell out. Just kidding. Uh, So shall we talk about? uh, Well, here's the, the issue. Some of these you have not seen. I don't think. Uh, Zone of interest, have we indulged? Uh, It's not anywhere near (laughs) the state of Wisconsin. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's not anywhere like near my radar or like my interest. Uh, No, I'm definitely going to go see it. I just am frantically trying to figure out when it might play between now and the end of the world because we are in an indie movie desert. And it makes me so angry. But um, so I'm and I'm I really want to see Zone of Interest. Obviously, I know it's going to be devastating. Yeah. And uh, but I did just this last week watch Anatomy of a Fall. So knowing. So that's what I was swapping in my head. I was like, I know you've seen Sandra recently. Um, Man, what a year for Sandra Hewler. Like, holy fucking shit. Like a talent bomb just hit all of us and we don't know what to do. Incredible. A lot of people knew her already from theater. Uh, Apparently she's just like a, a, like a beast on the stage, which I completely, completely can see. She has found this niche for herself where it's like, she's such a powerful presence on screen. And there is like darkness behind it. That is like mesmerizing. And in zone of interest, it's like, she's like an evil, evil person. Um, and but she gives this character like humanity and a motive that you can understand. But there is a moment that I won't spoil for everyone where she flips a switch and you are like, you are an evil person. Like this is not the case of someone being swept up in bad circumstances. And oh, you know, like this is just what happened to her. It's like, no, 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 no. It does not let her off the hook. And I'm so glad that this film is just like indictment after indictment after indictment. It does not let anyone get away with an inch. And there is a cut at the end that I won't spoil for everyone because it's really, really powerful the way it's done. That is so devastating that I was just like breathless by the end. I was like, my God. (laughs) Yeah. And especially watching it though with, you know, the, the genocide that's happening in Gaza it it makes you so sick to watch something like that because you see it happening again in real life in terms of like the fact that Amy Schumer recommended the zone of interest to people. I'm like, bitch, you are delusional. You are delusional. How could you possibly defend the state of Israel and then turn around and recommend this film and not see the fucking irony? What is wrong with you? Well, you know, some people just can't stop deciding to be deliberately blind and like are you dumb I know you're not dumb because like you're a good writer you're very successful I've met you you're not dumb you know so like what what up (laughs) like what's happening oh god Uh, we don't have to talk about Amy Schumer but I just like I kept thinking about Gaza and Israel committing genocide when I was watching the zone of interest because it's so tragic to like you know and I'm stating the obvious I know but for Jewish people to have been the victims of this atrocity and now the state of Israel to be wiping out a group of people and to not see that this is like you have become the villain. You've become the villain and how tragic that is. It's like, oh, it's all I could think about during the zone of interest. But anyway, that aside, um, this film, which is by Jonathan Glazer, has, I think, the most devastating use of sound in any film this year. And that is because, and this isn't a spoiler because it's the entire premise of the film. Um, the film follows uh, Rudolf Haas, who's the uh, commander of Auschwitz and his family, including his wife, Hedwig. And they live directly next door um, to a death camp. And 
they are just living this beautiful life as a family and their house is gorgeous. Um, Hedwig has a beautiful garden. She's, she's very proud of, she shows her mother when her mother's coming to visit. And periodically you hear in the background, someone being shot or you hear someone screaming and it's happening when she's trying on a beautiful fur coat, you you'll hear something. And it's just horrifying every time it happens. And it is the best, best example, I think, of showing that kind of um, conflict, you know, where, or that kind of obliviousness, deliberate obliviousness, blindness to atrocities that are happening. Well, and, and just to mention, it's not just any death camp, it's Auschwitz. It's Auschwitz. So yeah. it's like the death camp yeah. that we think of, especially in America. Um, and he, so like, he this- gets a promotion, like in the film, this is a very exciting thing that happens for Rudolph. It's a huge career accomplishment. And he tells his family about it, like at first excited, but then it becomes um, emotional because Hedvig doesn't want to leave their home. So she's upset, but not because he's go- He's like the commander of Auschwitz. He's um, He gets promoted to, he commits one of the worst atrocities of the Holocaust. He, he kills a lot of people. I think like 200,000 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's upset because it means it's going to ruin her beautiful life that she's made because they have to relocate. Right. And so they can't live in their beautiful picture. Perfect house. That yeah. Is next to Auschwitz, which you're watching it. And you were just like, you cunt. like, you can't believe how much you hate this woman. And Sandra is so good that you never like her, but you understand her motives like so perfectly that it's extra infuriating. <laughs> it's like, this is such a prideful, woman um who grew up poor so like the second she could get like a beautiful home she like really jumped on it and it's she makes her so human that it just magnifies how evil she is uh i it's masterful i feel weird i'm not excited to see this film because that would be a deranged fair fair to say but I plan on seeing it and I'm really interested to see it because at a time when there's a genocide happening, um, when we're dealing with rising anti-Semitism and anti-Arab sentiment Mm -hmm. at a time when everything seems to be falling apart and fascism is just like waiting to stroll on in we should be spending time looking at these stories from different angles. Yeah. Because obviously it didn't do much to keep telling the same version. I'll tell you why I think this film is different than Holocaust films. And I think in a really important way. Mm-hmm. And I know there was some criticism because it, it doesn't show what's happening to the Jewish people. It just shows what the, the Nazis are doing. I think that's so important though, because that's how most people experience war and conflict. We're we're Hedvig, right? We're at home. We're just trying to get the kids ready for school. We're trying to get dinner on the table. We're trying to take care of the garden and atrocities are happening like immediately, (laughs) like next door sometimes. And whether that's like poverty in our own communities or like if, if it is conflict overseas. And I think most people are Hedvig, you know, most people are not Rudolf Haas. They're not the ones who are put in charge of the atrocity. And that can be like an interesting story to explore too. But there's something so disturbing about how Hedvig is removed from it, but not removed from it that I thought was powerful to watch, as you said, especially now. Well, and I think that because we're all Hedwig to some degree, whether it's not like feeling powerless against the family separation that Trump talked about just trying to move on from January 6th. Like there's all kinds of things in America that have, that feel this way. But um, I think we have to stop believing the argument that by portraying people who are horrible, we are automatically humanizing them. Yeah. And then I feel and like this like, is like humanizing them is necessarily a bad thing. And I think there's a difference between making someone sympathetic and giving them like a sad origin story mm. and showing a 
version of a person that is awful, that is more recognizable to you and feels like someone you would meet on the street? Because how are you going to recognize that if you don't have an example? Or how are you going to like examine that quality within yourself? You know, where mm-hmm. I, I agree. It's like a basic media literacy thing where this happens with TV series all the time. I think Walter White on Breaking Bad is like a perfect example of it where people think the protagonist is a good guy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, it, like, you know, we have anti-heroes, we have straight up villains sometimes, you know, um, in the case of um, Zone of Interest. And it's important to be able to have that kind of mental dexterity where you can explore an upsetting topic, controversial topic, and unpack it and like understand it and examine it. Not everything should be like, Listen, I, I don't want to tell anyone what they should watch. Like, if things upset you and you don't like to watch upsetting things, I get it. But I would encourage everyone that you do need to challenge yourself because you don't want to live in a bubble, right? You want to, like, learn about the world. And sometimes that requires straying out of your comfort zone. And I understand, like, people get triggered by stuff. And I'm a firm believer in trigger warnings and that... If, if something has like rape in it and that's very triggering for you, you should not watch it to like, quote unquote, expand your horizons, <laughs> you know, like I think you get it, you know, but people who are just like anything upsetting, I don't want to watch it. I'm kind of like, I don't get you. Like, I, I just don't understand that that mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I I think that it's fascinating that it took until now for someone to decide to tell a story like this. Right. Right. That's, I thought about that too. When I was watching it where I'm like, why have we never seen this before? And maybe it's just, you know, in terms of like the timeline of history, we, we first had to explore like the Holocaust and Schindler's list and, you know, like the actual atrocity itself. And then, you know, the the Nazis who were in charge and prosecuted for war crimes and, you know, fled to South America. Okay, we did that. And now- but at the same time, isn't it odd that we managed to get to a point where Auschwitz has become an Instagram influencer Oof. cesspit? Yeah. Um, a, a friend's husband, his name is Ari Richter, has written a narrative comic book about going to Auschwitz and experiencing yeah. the tourist trappedness of it mm-hmm. um, during high season. Um think it's coming out this year I'm really interested to That's read cool, it so yeah. it's like his experience with that like if we can if we turned the experience of trying to memorialize the holocaust into kitsch before we were able Ugh. to break out like I think that says a lot about how we are willing to engage with the truth of it that's you know? a really good like, point yeah um and so it's especially important to have movies that bring a different perspective is from the director's sense, not from the character's sense uh, perspective. Uh, Because we have to bring this back into a form of relevance that like actually drives home that never again is not something anyone could guarantee, um, which we know given what's happening right now. Anyway, sorry, that was just, I got very excited to make that point. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Do you want to talk about um, Anatomy of a Fall since you got to see it? We were talking about Sandra. Oh, God. I mean, I also, I did really love it. Um, and I know you mentioned this when you talked about it after seeing it. The The French court system feels made up. <laughs> <laughs> it's bananas. And listen, I don't know if any of that's accurate. I, I'm, you know, I have no experience uh, with the French court system, thankfully. Um, but if that is truly how it works, y'all, it's bananas. It's so weird. And like the American court system is, is very procedural and like there's a, a million different like, you know, objection, uh, hearsay, stuff like that. The French system apparently is just like a chat. <laughs> and a lot of vibes. Like, I don't vibes. know. It feels interesting to yeah. me. Let's uh let's explore it. Yeah, yeah. 
which yeah, which feels very French. So I'm like, yeah, that probably ha- is how it goes. But <laughs> the fact that this woman's like life is on the line, I'm like, could we be like a little more formal? <laughs> about this? Yeah, maybe it's that relaxed because um, nobody goes to prison for life in Europe. Fantastic, anymore. fantastic point. Yeah, they don't do life in prison. Yeah. And I mean, if French prisons are anything or if French prisons for white people are anything like they are in Norway, she would just be chilling out and learning new recipes. <laughs> True. That's another great point. Their prisons are not like terrible. Yeah. So maybe that is why it's yeah. a little more like, you know, whatever, however we're feeling right now. <laughs> yeah. I, but I, it did a lot of things that I was not expecting, even having a solid understanding of what was going, like what the story was going to be mm. and, and how they were dealing with it. I was, really impressed and found myself uncomfortably relating to her character as a woman whose ambitions and sense of self can sometimes make one impossible to be close to. And perhaps (laughs) threaten the person closest to you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Uh And I thought that that was such... Brutal. Yeah, but it was such a difficult tightrope to walk as far as creating the character on the page and also acting it because it was, yeah, it it was so sharp and so prickly and so slippery at the same time, sort of quicksilver from one second to the other, you know, how much of this are we going to see? And I just was so surprised and genuinely excited to you know sort of watch that play like watch her experience her feelings play out because I would also probably say some of the things that she said to her husband in the big sort of climactic uh-huh. fight huh how did you like the last fight that is oh. great writing uh yeah truly truly wild um this is like the most the least interesting part of the film, but I like asking everyone who saw it, do you think she did it? I don't think she did it. Me either. Me either. And just on a practical logistics level, as I understand how he went out that window, I don't think physically she could have done it. Same. Yeah. I think there's no way he was way too big. Um, And also, and this is where I immediately, like my biases end up showing he was such a whiny bitch of a man, baby. Dude, of course he would kill himself. The way it opened with her tr- trying to do an interview and him blasting his music like a little crybaby, I immediately understood who he was. I was mm-hmm. like, got it. You don't need to say anything a else, honey. A steel drum version of PIMP <laughs> specifically. And Sandra's face when she's looking at the interviewer <laughs> like, we've been here a million times before. He is throwing a fit right now. I was like, got it. Don't say a fucking word. I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I it wanted was- to shout out um, who had written it. So Justine Triette and Arthur Harari co-wrote the screenplay. So shout out to them. Absolutely phenomenal dialogue. So lived in. So real. And quickly, before we run out of time, did you have anything else you wanted to say? Oh, not about this. No. Okay, great. Um, I want to do highly recommend American fiction. Uh, not just because it's written by a friend of the show, Core Jefferson, and directed by Core Jefferson. Uh, guys, it's so good. It's so sharp. It's so funny. Uh, my favorite Jeffrey Wright performance. I don't know why. I mean, I know why. Racism. Uh, he's not like one of our greatest lead actors uh, alive. Um, but it is really, really insightful. It's so hard to be genuinely funny in a satire because by the time you've written the thing and it gets produced and it gets to the people, all of your points are sort of stale by that point. Like the menu, I think, is a great example of that, where it's like, yeah, technically everything they said about class is true. But by the time we saw it, everyone had made that point. You know, I feel Mm -hmm. like Parasite was really ahead of the curve with that, where it's like everybody tried to be Parasite after and it was just like stale point after stale point. Um, It's not like people haven't attempted to write about racism before, but Cord has such a fresh perspective and voice and is so gifted that it's like, it feels so new and exciting for that reason. Yeah. Well, and, and the book is 
was from like 2001, I think. Yes. And he talked um, about recently, I think it was the big picture. He talked about the changes he had made, like in the book. Um, it's a really good interview. Everybody should go listen to it. Uh, Sean Fennessy interviewed Court Jefferson recently. Yeah. yeah. And I, I was just thinking about that. I, there's something, just the fact that Cord was adapting a book from 2001 in 2023 and has to make some changes, but is still able to make the, like, these are all fundamental points that, and one of the things he says in that big picture interview is that he had older actors that were auditioning say to him, these are things we were talking about 50 years ago. Yeah. Well, that's another so thing where it's like, you know, in part, it's like, cause nothing's fucking changed, uh, unfortunately. So. Yeah. And now what movie did you see before you saw American fiction, Allison? <laughs> so <laughs> this, this was the most arranged double feature. This was my Barbenheimer, everyone. Just kidding. Barbenheimer was my Barbenheimer. Um, I saw <laughs> same day. I went a zone of interest into American fiction. And I, I do think that was the right order to do it in because I ended things on a slightly lighter note uh, just because American fiction is funny. Um, still dealing with serious stuff, but in a funny way. But it, that was truly one of the most deranged things I've ever done, doing a, a, a double billing <laughs> with zone of interest in American fiction. Oh, I was my brain was like scrambled after that. I know. I was just waiting to see how you were feeling after you were completely done because I didn't know if you'd even be speaking English, would you have come up with the new language? Yeah. <laughs> you know, transcended time and space. Yeah, I I truly credit Core Jefferson and Jeffrey Wright to giving me any kind of life after I saw Zone of Interest because I was like utterly spiritually devastated after that. And then I was like, I guess I see another movie now. And it was so good that it, it was like a great experience. Um, the cast is amazing. I wanted to shout out Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, Sterling K. Brown, one of his best performances, I think, as Jeffrey writes, um, Thelonious is the character's name, his brother. Um, Issa Rae. Erica Alexander. Yeah, as what well, like from living queen of living single. So good. She's so beautiful still. Like she's amazing. Um, Issa Rae's amazing. Adam Brody. He, I love him being like the token kind of like broy white guy in a lot of these films. Where I think like it shows that he doesn't have an ego and he's just a good actor and he believes in the project that he chooses roles like this where he's like, yeah, I'll just come in and be like a douchebag for a little bit because it's funny and it makes the film better. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for him for realizing that he doesn't need to have the starring role to make an impact. And he'll probably have more success having a small role in American fiction as far as like respect goes. Yeah. Than being the lead in something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, top to bottom. Um, amazing, amazing cast. Everyone's wonderful. As I said, it's so well written. It's we would expect from Cord. Um, and I'm so excited, much like, you know, Celine, to see what Cord does next. Cause it's like when there's a young ish talent, <laughs> like a younger talent, mm -hmm. in terms of Hollywood, Cord is considered young, I think. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's, he's, he's in his early 40s. Yeah. And but for he, a director, you know, yeah, that's young. Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, had a full career in journalism before he started writing in right. Hollywood. Exactly. So he's he's a as close to an overnight success story as you can probably get. Which is bananas because he talks about in that interview, you know, he's written for so many great shows and he has this amazing resume. He could not get shit made. And mm -hmm. that just shows how broken the system is because Cord Jefferson's like one of our most talented filmmakers and writers and he could not get the shit he wanted to make he couldn't get it made and American fiction, like such an achievement. And I'm so glad it's getting so much praise, but I wanted to get it in the recommendation section while it's still in theaters to really, really encourage people to go see it in theaters. Um, Cause Jeffrey Wright Absolutely. is also picking up some steam in the awards uh, circuit. I don't know if he's going to like, you know, probably not. Um, but you never know. So if momentum keeps building, um, who the hell knows? Anything could happen. Hey, if we can if we can be watching the real time uh, rise of people just deciding that Paul Giamatti deserves a nomination for the holdover. Meredith, are you ready for? Are you for, ready? Are you braced yeah. for him to win? I'm. Uh, no, not yet. Okay, get ready though. <laughs> 
get in the brace <sighs> position because Paul Giamatti is gaining momentum and people fucking love him. And I'm just saying, everybody just like, get ready. The Golden Globes are tonight, so it'll be late for all of y'all. But um, I think Mr. Giamatti is going to win that category and that will sort of give him momentum into the Oscars. And I think you're probably right. It's just, I just have feelings about it because it's another makeup award. It's another makeup award where it's like, you've been so great for so long. I guess we give it to you now. And it's like, (laughs) all right, if that's what this is now, (laughs) I guess best actor is just a makeup award. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a makeup award until they finally, oh no, it'll continue to be that because Timothy Chalamet won't win until he's been nominated like eight times and he's only 40. Yeah, absolutely. uh, and then they'll be like, well, he's been working so hard for so long. <laughs> it's like, no, you guys just guys. fucked up in 2018. Don't get me started on Gary Oldman. We'll be here all night. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. And again, if you are a Patreon supporter of mine over at patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny, send uh, questions, comments, all of that stuff. Follow Meredith and I on social media, uh, Meredith Clark, Allison Kilkenny, and have a great week. We'll we'll see you uh, not next weekend, but the next because we're a biweekly show. I don't say that anymore. Maybe I should in case anybody's new. We're a biweekly show. So that's uh, that's what's going on over here. <laughs> How do I end the show? Uh, I don't know. Oh, uh cause some trouble and no no how how don't you know either by the way why don't you know either you have now done like a hundred episodes with me (laughs) get out there stay with me okay it's get out there and cause a little trouble that's right bye